It's like most people think when they have an idea that it's like, oh, somebody's going to steal it. Winners don't steal ideas. All right. We are on Collins Conversations. I always let the guests introduce themselves. So go ahead and let everybody know who you are, a little bit about what you do, and kind of what brought you, brought you here today. Of course, Colin. So my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication, public speaking. And yeah, I always come on shows to, to add some value and tell people what why communication is important to their lives and why they should be focused on it. So great to be here, man. Um, but I'm going to take a, a page out of your book to start the interview. Um, I was going through a bunch of your stuff earlier today in the last couple of days. And uh, one of your favorite quotes um, and ways to start an interview is, what is the one truth that you believe in and the most that most people would disagree with you on? Hmm. Okay, you've clearly done your homework. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is a question from Peter Thiel, who's the author of Zero to One and the founder of PayPal with Elon Musk. And that's a question he asks to help people kind of figure out what they want to do in life and also find unique paths. And the reason why most people struggle with the question, then I'm happy to answer it myself, is that it forces you to answer something controversial. What's something that you believe in that most people think is BS? That's the struggle, why most people don't want to be controversial. So for me, I actually have 37 answers to the question, I believe. <laughs> but I would say one of them in particular is this idea that people, people do want to learn public speaking. We just need to present it in a fun way that's digestible for where that person is at. Because most people, when they think about public speaking, Colin, they don't want to go to a Toastmasters club. They don't want to practice. They're too scared to even go to a meeting or even work on it. But I think a, ma a vast majority of those people will be more than happy to watch a video in their basement until that those videos slowly brainwash them into believing that they can be great communicators. And that's what I'm trying to do with the YouTube channel. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when you think public speaking, it's standing up in front of a class or getting in front of the office and not really realizing that in today's world, public speaking, I mean, you're public speaking all day long if you're making an Instagram story or any bit of a vlog or anything that you're doing online. So it's really one of those skills that if you can't communicate, then you're not going to very sell things or really succeed too well. But also it's really, you don't really think until you do think about it, you don't think about how much you really need to think about communicating. Um, is there a particular thing because your business is coaching people to communicate? Is there a particular thing that kind of is that drawing factor to somebody that says, I really need a coach to teach me this? It's no longer videos. What, what's bringing people in for professional coaching? Yeah, I think what I've noticed, Colin, is most people who, who get professional help are generally people where the money they spend on speech coaching gets, gets remade, remade really quickly. So, a good example is the CEO of a company. For them, spending three to $5,000 on a speech coaching program is, is really nothing. Same mm -hmm. thing with keynote speakers. Those are the types of demos that, I, that would probably come for coaching. But the reason I started Master Talk, just to add more layer to that, is for the 95% of people who can't afford a speech coach. I thought it was ridiculous that <laughs> no one was sharing this information for free. Like, communication is everything. Right. You get presentations. It's the way that you interact with everyone in your life. Whether it's the dinner conversation you have with your family, the tough ones you have with your family, or simply when you tip the delivery guy who gives you pizza, it's it's all communication. So that's why I want to teach people, even if they can't afford uh, coaching, for sure. I think that's where both of our brands kind of align is that's where Colin Can Help started was I realized that everybody needs to learn how to do social media marketing and have websites, but not everybody either wants to know how to do it or can afford to have somebody that 
you know, take care of it for them. So that's where I kind of started the same way of if you could, if you could afford it, here I am. This is what the rates are. I'll do a great job. You never have to worry about it. If you can't read these blog articles, watch these videos, kind of put together these resources. And if you can't figure it out from there, then you got to figure out somewhere in the middle ground. But um, how long has Master of Talk been going? You've been going at least two years on YouTube, but has it been before YouTube started? You got us. I've been coaching for five, but I've been I've been YouTubing, so to speak, for two. Um, one YouTube question that I got to know is you, you do a lot of videos in front of a real nice, elegant fireplace. And in the upper corner, there's a picture of some guy in a suit. Who is that guy? <laughs> I actually have no idea. So the, the story behind that suit shop. So I'm very blessed. You know, I have an amazing team who helps me with the videos. And, and it's pretty much just one person named Danny. And he does everything for me. Like he literally cuts my hair, does my videos, films, edits the videos, and has the settings. When I approached him a year into Master Talk, because my first year I was doing videos in my basement, mother's basement more specifically. And then I had saved up money for production. I obviously wanted to hire him because he's one of my best friends. And I said, What do you think? He's like, My best friend owns a suit shop. You want to do it in there? I said, What? Who does suit shop videos on YouTube? I said, why don't you be the first one? And I said, sure, let's do it. Right. So that's the, I actually have no clue who that dude is, but yeah. Yeah, it's like in so many, that it's like just the slightest bit of the frame and it's never like you never see a face <laughs> or anything. And you're like, who is this guy that's in the middle of this? Like it, it's when, cause like, as you see behind me, I've got the black screen, I've got the wood. I've kind of realized it in the last six months or so, once I bought a new house that I needed something to set myself apart from other, other living room podcasts or basement <laughs> podcasts. You know, and I, I say in the same way that I got sick of just transforming my living room every two, two to three days of let's move all the couches because we got to put the chairs under the lights and everything. So I started to build out my own studio in the same way, kind of like you said, you kind of started to get better production guys and have, I don't have anybody cutting my hair. But luckily it doesn't really grow, but <laughs> it sounds like you got the productions completely figured out with that guy. Yeah, I'm very blessed. You know, he, he's more of a partner than, uh, than somebody who just helps me with my video. So I'm happy to have him. Absolutely. And uh, you've had some really good success on a couple YouTube videos. Is there anything that you could notice for somebody that has videos with, say, 100 views and also some with like 47,000 or something? Is there anything that you did differently to promote those videos that really succeeded? Or what do you see as a growth strategy for your YouTube channel? Yeah, so, so I'll comment on serendipity, but also what I think is the right strategy for most people. So let's go on serendipity. Yeah, you're right. One of those videos did really hit. And the reason it hit is mostly because of YouTube search. So how YouTube works is when somebody searches for something on YouTube, videos get recommended based on the watch time of those videos and how good the video is based on people who have watched it before. And I just got really lucky, to be honest. No one made videos on public speaking exercises that hash. So when people used to type it, the videos were shit. And then mine came on. I have like a 50, I think I have a 53% watch time on that video. It's like really strong in my niche. Which is very high because most people wouldn't wouldn't sit through a public speaking video, right? right. Like, who does that, right? But mine, that one just hit, so that gets like three hundred views a day, which is really amazing. Because I'm still right. not monetized yet. I monetize it next month, actually. Nice. So for Congratulations. Some... That's a hard. That's a hard thing for people that don't make anything on YouTube. They're like, oh, how hard can it be to make money on YouTube? People are driving Lamborghinis, but to hit that monetization is, and they change it every time too. You start really going towards one thing, you're like, oh, we're not doing that metric anymore. Oh, yeah. Like YouTube is really a 10 year game. If, if you're not in it for a very long time, you shouldn't be in it at all. And I can give you an example. MQBHD, who has over 10 million subs on YouTube. He's a tech reviewer. 
His first three years on YouTube, he says in every interview, his first hundred videos got a hundred subscribers. Like insanity. He literally got one subscriber per video. It's nuts. <laughs> so it's very lots of tenacious effort. There a lot of respect for people like him. That's one part. Second part that is more practical for people that most people don't do is people don't realize, Colin, that if you want a thousand followers, you need to be willing to have a thousand conversations. What does 100% that mean? agree with you on that one. Yeah, it means like, yeah, sure. Yeah, why am I on the show, right? Why am I doing these things, these one-on-ones? I don't know if seven people are watching or 70,000, right. but I need to have those one-on-one conversations. I need to build those relationships. And it's through those one-on-one interactions that you really scale what you're trying to do, right? And it's definitely, and you've done your homework, you know, it's not my first rodeo with the podcasting. But the point I'm driving is, if you want to get to a, th- a thousand followers, if you want to get to 10,000, be willing to reach thousands of people first, be willing to talk to them one-on-one. And I'm no exception to the rule. There's a reason why I hit a thousand subscribers in my first 60 days of starting the YouTube channel. It's because I messaged 2000 people and asked them to subscribe. That's it. <laughs> yeah. We, we talk about that on the show a lot where so many people think that the success mark is how many followers that you have, but you actually look worse if you have 10,000 followers and you get six likes or whatever there you go. ends up working out to be where the, the, also I've, I've written so many articles for people about people want that overnight, the overnight formula of success to how to grow, how to get the big following, but they don't realize that with, if they're not actually following, following closely, you're not going to sell any products. You're not going to sell any services. You're not going to book any coaching services. If, if they, if they're not fully engaged with it, but if you actually make unique content, like you mentioned, you were noticing nobody was actually having the exercises or whatever, whatever thing that somebody's missing. If you make that once people look for it, it's just a, a chain reaction of how things hit for you. You got it, man. It's like it's like this double-edged sword of why you need to talk to your audience. One side of the sword is saying, you know, I hope I hope I'm understanding what their needs are. I hope I'm presenting it. But the other side of the sword is they give you ideas on what to create. Mm-hmm. They go, hey, Brendan, have you ever made videos on dissecting popular speakers? And I go, right. I probably should have thought of that one. Makes sense, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. No. Now I make videos on that. So that's the key, right? Always talk to your audience. Uh, you've made a bunch of mention in your videos of finding your own personal speaking voice. Um, but since you kind of gave me that segue there, who are the top three people that you're listening to for kind of your own to kind of build on your existing speaking voice that are in the kind of national spotlight? Definitely subjective, but I'm happy to share. So number one is Scott Harrison, who's the CEO of Charity Water. I think the guy's a savant in marketing, messaging, branding, and also this idea of we can learn a lot from the nonprofit sector. If somebody can do this much with less money, imagine what we can do with the resources we have. That's one. Second is Seth Godin. I like the way that Seth thinks about presentation and storytelling. All of his slides are just images. He's brilliant. He never looks at any of his slides once. It's kind of magical, pretty weird. It's very threatening, actually. (laughs) So almost too good. Right. Gary Vaynerchuk, I just like his push mentality. You know, don't don't wait for the customer to be there. Don't wait for your audience to be there. Go get them. Right. Go get them. So so I'm, I'm glad that you threw Gary V. I'm like, fuck, I don't know either of the first two. So I got to go back and check those out. But Gary, like my podcast personality wise, I, I want to find the perfect balance of Gary V. Then I want to have Joe Rogan and I want to get a little bit of um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The guy from Hot Ones. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Sean Evans. Sean, Sean Evans. I kept thinking Sean Green. I'm like, that's not right. But yeah, like I think that combination of three is like the absolute perfect interview. Yeah, the hair I'm... works too. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We we can't all keep the hair. Go away, Parker. This is Parker, okay, my, my security guard. You gotta go away, dog. He's like, now that's unique. Hear... What's that? 
that's unique right there. <laughs> Parker has to get greet every single person that comes on the show, whether they come through the front door or he's like, you just keep talking in the basement. What's going on? I got to see what's going on down there. Um, I, I call him and my other dog, the security team. If, if you, if they don't like you, you can't be on the show. You got to go home. <laughs> um, so we kind of touched on the YouTube thing. Um, you, I think I read you did a hundred takes of videos before you decided to publish the first video. Is that right? Something like that. So, so essentially what happened was when I, when I did my first video, I didn't post it for many weeks because mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed by it. It was so disgustingly bad. But, I, but after I kind of pulled the trigger on that, what happened in the first year is I presented hundreds of times on camera until I got really good. So essentially every time I was recording a video, because I didn't edit a single one of them in my first year too, every time I'd, I'd mess up in the middle, I'd actually start again at the beginning. <laughs> and start so let's have me the a minute five i'm like oh, shit and then i start the beginning right so that's how I, I managed to present so many times on camera in a year and when i went professional i really went professionals i was ready to go yeah that's something that i was just talking i had a rapper here the other night for an episode and oh. he was very for somebody that's very easily to go on stage and sing his own things he was kind of not apprehensive, but kind of in his show, you know, when we started the interview, just not knowing really how to hold his hands or talk or any of those type of things. And he's like, yeah, you know, like this is only my second or third podcast. I'm getting the hang of it, but you know, forgive me if I mess up or one of those type of things. And I've su suggested so many people, which I believe you have a video on too, to kind of reverse engineer it. If you're say a musician and you want to go get better at interviews, think about the top 10 things that you want to an actual, somebody that you're a fan of to answer sit in front of a camera or have a couple cameras or even just a laptop open and give four or five different responses for the same one. And just kind of, it's almost, would you agree that it's almost like a muscle that you have to just keep doing the same repetitions and, and kind of, once you hear what it sounds like a few times, then you kind of know how to navigate where you're on the fly. 1000% dude. And, 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 the, and this is a, this very conversation is a good example of this. You know, when I first started podcasting, much like a, the rapper who was on yesterday, yeah, like when somebody would ask me, where does the fear of public speaking come from? I just go, well, well, I don't really know. I started making videos in my mother's basement. Why am I on the show? Like, it's just, a, it's just like, I don't deserve to be here. And after after the hundredth time somebody asks you that same question, well, you probably have an answer. Because at the end of the day, the host, as you very well know, Colin, is not going to ask you something random. They're right. going to go up to you and just go, yo, what's your favorite color? And you're just like, uh, why? <laughs> You're like, yo, what's what do you like better, pizza or hamburger? She's like, nobody does that. Right. It's always Brendan, like uh, online presentations, Brendan, YouTube, right? It, it's always related to the topic. So as you do more podcasts, you get used to the same questions over and over again. And uh, that was something that you kind of made mention in that is, and everybody that I interviewed kind of makes the same mention. And whenever you have that unique question, or you mentioned earlier, like, oh, you could tell that he did his research. He knows a few things that he's actually like gone past minute two of the video where so many people like, it's not like an interviewer is going to try to set you up for failure. Like I'm sure there's a few of them, you know, if you're trying to get like the clickbait out of somebody, but like, if I'm going to spend all the time it takes to edit footage, I'm not trying to make you look like a dumbass and then promote you for the next two weeks. Like that makes no sense. Like know that if you have, and same, like you said, if you mess up at a minute five, deep breath, that edit button is, edit, edit button is amazing. Two seconds back, you never know that he made that mess up. We could go right back and it never even happened. I'm with you, man. Completely agreed. Um, you speak three languages. I'm guessing that's because you're from uh, the Montreal area. That's where we get our French. You got it, man. And so then parents are, is that where we get, uh, I always mispronounce it. How do you pronounce it? Tamil. The Tamil. Word. I'm retarded sometimes. No, no, you're not. <laughs> 
is, is, am I right in that thinking of the Montreal area is French, the tables, the parents, and then English is just everybody speaks English these days? You got it, man. 10 out of 10. <laughs> and the biggest question on language, um, you mentioned that it's easiest to speak in English, but what language, since you do speak three, what ones do you think and dream in the most? Both is still English. It's a great question. I've never thought of the dream part one. I think I might have dreamed once or twice in French in my lifetime, but it's definitely been English throughout, even if I speak the th two other ones. But I, I can tell you the advantage of, of speaking multiple. So what's fascinating to me is when I travel outside of Montreal, because nobody gives a shit if you speak French in Montreal, really. Like <laughs> but when you get to like California or even New York, which is, you know, seven hour drive from here mm -hmm. and you're speaking French, people are like, well, you're like from France. <laughs> and you're like yeah yeah there's like this weird uh it, it kind of makes you interesting it's kind of a uh, bizarre because in montreal no one cares if you speak multiple languages but it seems that it's one of the few pieces in the world where most people do speak multiple languages it's funny you say that too because once i saw your video that said you did three and i was like why, why would you have picked french and then once i saw your website i was like oh i could connect a few dots montreal majorly french-speaking area now I, we figured it all out um, we already got through the painting on the fireplace because that was the one of the most important questions. I could cross that off. Th those are those little things that as a content creator, like knowing that somebody like yourself is is writing out a script and put all this thought into it. You're like, there's got to be a reason, whether it's just a color or a texture. Like there's a reason why everything is in that shot. Now we know it's actually just a huge tailor shop. Then that's so much better. <laughs> yeah, and, but I can give you more context though, since you seem curious. There, there's a reason why I intentionally chose the suit shop. And the third, the third tip I have for, for YouTube channel and stuff is do what everyone else isn't doing. Mm -hmm. You know, what was fascinating to me, Colin, is my goal with public speaking, with the content, is to appeal to both the 50-year-old and the five-year-old. That's challenging. How do you speak in a way that gets both of these completely different types of people to both like the content? So I took a more professional approach with my, with my setting so mm -hmm. that the older people would go, I trust this guy's authority. But I made it very playful, as you've seen with a lot of the videos where I compare with dance and all this weird stuff that I do, so that the five-year-old also finds me entertaining. It's a weird uh, secret middle that I kind of think about. I don't know who, who actually coined this phrase, but it, somebody a long time told me that if you can't explain something to a five-year-old and have them understand it instantly that you don't actually understand it, which I think kind of goes in line with what you're saying, that if you can't break the concept down to where a five-year-old could understand it, but that 50-year-old actually understands they need it, I think that's where that balance comes in and that's where you're getting your viewers. Yeah, I believe that was Einstein, but yeah, you got it. See, I, I keep track of like the 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 quote. Never going to remember the citation. The I'm like that plagiarizer of like, I swear I did it. I I just know it. I don't know where I got it from. It's stuck somewhere back there. I love it. You're like, yeah, there's some dude who knows how to speak. I forgot his name or who he is, but uh, <laughs> I I also tell people I'll remember your dog's name if I don't know if I haven't met you like five times. I'm going to be like, I know I know him from somewhere. We talked about this, this, and this, but I cannot put the name together. It's just certain ways where my brain is like, uh, we'll, we'll put it together. We're mid-conversation. I'll be like, that's Brendan from Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've also on your website, since I brought that up, you've worked with a couple big universities and big companies. Um, you mentioned how somebody with the big budget of a, a CEO or somebody's a little bit easier person to nab, but what is somebody that, whether it's professional speaking, life coaching, marketing, What's a way that you found to get success of reaching out to those people in those higher higher up levels of, I mean, IBM might, like you said, it might seem unobtainable for somebody that just got started on YouTube. So how can somebody break down those barriers and communicate and get that those doors open? 
Yeah, for sure. My, my perspective has always been that show don't tell. So what does show don't tell mean? Obviously, you can tell I'm pretty young. So why would an executive listen to me, right? So the hmm. way that I think about the industry is if you're really good at what you do, and that's what I like about business, people will pay you for what you do. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, you know, and I'd message a CEO that I wanted to work with. Now I'm picky these days. I don't like working with a lot of people who are kind of rude. But uh, yeah, when I started, it wasn't like, hi, David, I'm a speech coach. I'd love to work with you. No, no, no. It's Hey, David, I watched one of your keynotes on YouTube. You made these 57 mistakes. Live with them. And I would just send them to him. And then he'd always <laughs> reply with, so, Brennan, do you have like a service that I could use? Or Right. <laughs> so that's that's what I always think about is show, don't tell. But if I'm being honest, I got really lucky. My business coaches just doubled my age and introduced me to a lot of executives. And I was able to build my practice that way, too. Gotcha. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that somebody else does what I do. We're, we're on the same thing. When I see somebody's social media posts and the, it's a promoted post and the graphics cut off or there's no call to action or any of these things that are just like entry level marketing things. And you're like, you guys are paying somebody to do this. Like, what do you, why are you, or there's a company that's local that is all about local brand and local clothing, but yet their marketing is done by a company and Kansas City that's never been to Cleveland that knows nothing about the Cleveland market. And half the time they show us brown stuff. I mean, show us uh, Steelers stuff instead of brown stuff. They're like, if you guys really wanted to be local and really wanted to succeed, hire somebody local. Until then, I want to tell you every time you screw up on social media, <laughs> which a lot of people too are like, oh, well, what's this kid doing? You know, he's got 3,000 followers and we got $800 million of revenue, but you guys are, are wasting revenue. And I could tell you from a guy that has no money that started businesses with no money, I could use no money and make it into something, you know, and people just need to realize, put the right people in their place, hire somebody like you to come out and talk to the staff, hire somebody like me to make sure that the staff knows how to market and put everybody that likes doing what they're doing and you get better results. Absolutely. Um, and better results is part of your favorite word is impact. Um, what can you tell people about um, kind of the, because you're not just doing this to make money. You're doing this to kind of uh, not just better yourself either, but to teach people the skills so that they could do their own thing. So let everybody know um, a little bit about the impact that you're trying to make with all these services you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, when I started Master Talk, Colin, it wasn't really to make a buck. Actually, I never even wanted to be an entrepreneur, if I'm being honest. All I wanted to do was be an executive at a company, right? Like at an IBM or at a McKinsey or something like that. And then what happened was I started making money in the corporate world. And I just said, well, what do I do with my life now? Do I just keep climbing this ladder? And that's it. And that's when I realized the impact that MasterTalk could have on the world. Because speech coaches don't share their information for free, which is so mm-hmm. sad. Because, you know, there's 16-year-olds out there who could be re- doing really amazing things. And they're just scared of communication. And they can't relate to anybody on YouTube because that's where they learn. That's their university. right? And I needed to be the dean of that university. In, in the context of public speaking, because no one else will. So that's what really, and I still lose a lot of money on my YouTube channel today. Trust me, the production, even if he's my best friend, isn't cheap. So right. uh, I'm only starting to break even this year after two years of constant posting and, and grinding. So, so that's my advice for people is, is if there's no impact component, it's not like a, it, you'll just get bored really quickly. I think that's the key. That's what's been true for me anyways. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially on the marketing end where it's nice to make the money off doing a website for somebody. But if they're not going to actually put that website to use and really use that to build their business, I'm sitting back like I should have charged you four times more because I I, I don't get to help you continue to grow. Now it's just like we made that. Now you're just going to let it sit there. Like, what are you doing? Um, What 
are you um are you doing any other things other than coaching are you doing any audio books or anything because something about just the way that you know how to present an idea and really enunciate at the right times i feel like you would like own the audiobooks side of things i appreciate it i've definitely thought a lot about that let's just say an audiobook is coming but not for a long time i would say for now the short-term strategy or what I want next is really growing YouTube. So I mostly spend my whole time just growing that channel in my speaking business. But then after, definitely after I get to that level I want to be, definitely going to look into other mediums. That's the hardest thing about doing marketing or doing podcasting, where I could kind of jump into the mind of a musician or a small business person or, you know, a master talk and kind of, then my brain's going around for the next couple of days. Like, oh, I wonder if they could take it this way, do that, do that, do that. And then there's 800 ideas that you're like, not, there's not enough people to run with these. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, that's such a good point that you mentioned there, Colin. It's like most people think when they have an idea that it's like, oh, somebody's going to steal it. Winners don't steal ideas. Right. Winners have their ideas. They don't have time to work on anything else. Like you can be the next best idea in the world that that's like has nothing to do with master. Let's say it's like a, a new kitchen sink or something. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Not going to work on it. I got to focus on master talk. Yeah, it's just weird stigma and excuses people make. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I think most people that are worried about people stealing their ideas are the same people that aren't even going to make the idea themselves. The people that aren't worried about people stealing ideas like yourself kind of realize how much work goes in from the big from conception of a product to the making of a product to marketing to sales and the whole cycle of everything. Like I might look at you and see that's a good idea and maybe incorporate that something down the line, but nobody's just going to take your paper and put their name on it. It's not high school anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Um, have you noticed any difference in um, two years ago-ish when you started YouTube and now? You're definitely more confident because you've run 100 repetitions, but have you noticed any trends in your competition? Yeah, any trends in the competition of where they're taking kind of the online coaching and maybe you're not or anything like that? Definitely. You know, my, my golden philosophy is always do, always ask yourself constantly, what is your competition doing that you're not doing more of? I would say the big thing that a lot of them are doing well with is they're, they're a lot more aggressive with online speaking content. Like how do you present online? How do you present online? And how do you add more value in that category since COVID hit? But I think, I think a lot of my competitors also missed the ball on YouTube culture. So for example, most, and this is true with a lot of coaches who post on YouTube or even podcasters, I'd argue, you know, and no offense if you do this, by the way, I don't think you do, but let's say it's like, you know, on YouTube, it's like, they think that they could just take the zoom recording and just post it on YouTube and people are going to watch it. I was like, that makes no sense. I mean, if Jay Shetty, Lewis Howes and Joe Rogan are spending millions of pro on production and you actually see their faces on the video kind of interacting in real time, why would you want to watch the, like this recording? This would make sense in a podcast format, right? right. Like, let's say I'm listening to a podcast. I'm on like a, a car ride. This is perfect. But like YouTube, like I wouldn't watch this video. I'd watch a different thing. Same thing with how we think about YouTube in general, like with coaches, they just go, oh yeah, let me just take a recording of some workshop I did yesterday. They're not actually trying to make content native to the platform. That's also true with the thumbnails. The thumbnails right. of my competitors are just so bad. It's just, they just don't spend enough time thinking about it. And it's fine. They make a lot of money. They don't need to. Right. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned thumbnails because that was the last thing of YouTube I really wanted to pick your brain about. You've I think other than like six or seven of your 200 or so, like you have the same exact template 
time after time, which I know is branding. Um, is there anything that made you pick that template and just be like, that's the one I'm going to go so hard for the next 200 videos with that? Or kind of what is your idea for the optimum template for a thumbnail for YouTube? Yeah, and it's definitely something I haven't mastered yet for sure. But I, but I would say the general idea is make your thumbnails unique to the niche that you're competing in. So for example, in my case, I actually have an artist do my thumbnail. And what most people don't get with with thumbnails is your art is not the video. It's mm -hmm. the thumbnail. If nobody clicks the video, nobody watches the video. Right. Right? You can have the best video in the world. If your thumbnail shit, then no one's going to click on it. So the way that me and my designer have thought this through is keep the logo on the top right. Put a picture of me so they know it's a video from me every week since I only post once a week. And then the left side is always that creative space. So my philosophy is always let, let my team play. You know, my team created what Master Talk, the packaging behind Master Talk. I, I, even the logo, even the name of the channel, I didn't think of. The only thing I give myself credit for is the content of the channel and how I present that content. Everything else is my team. So I think for me, it's really giving your team that opportunity to help you think creatively. Just hire really smart people or be friends with really smart people in my case, and just let them lead, uh, lead in areas where you just don't know anything about. You forgot to give yourself credit for rocking the hell out of turtlenecks. Also, that's also my friend. He also dresses me. There, there you mention. go. He you also me. hit one of another one of my main selling point motto type things that I tell everybody well, is uh, you either have to know how to fix it or you have to pay somebody that knows how to fix it. Yep. So um, unless you want to kind of where I'm an expert at nothing, but I have my hand in just about everything that there's no expert that could say something that I'm like, that has nothing to do with this topic. Like I know when you're talking out, out of the lane where Otherwise, I got to pay people. And I just bought a house in June. And the few things that I had to actually hire a contractor for, it hurt me. Like I'm sitting like like a kid waiting for the garbage man inside. I'm like, can I go grab a shovel and go play with those guys that are taking down the garage? Like I'd rather save myself some money and go do that. Like I, I like to have my hands on and learn. And the same way that once I watch your videos, I hated going to school, but I love to learn. I watch your videos and you're like, oh, I do say that. Or, oh, yeah, I do notice that I do that on camera. Maybe since he's taken enough time to make a well-polished video on why not to do that, even if I don't stop doing that, maybe I should get a little bit introspective and be like, well, why do I do that? Um, like in my podcast, I say absolutely 20 times in an hour episode. But I know that absolutely in editing means that's the end of a good a good clip. Once I hear absolutely, I know to go back right there and I'm going to edit right somewhere within there, there was a one or two minute segment and I'm using those auditory cues because I'm a one man show. I'm doing the camera, I'm doing the interview, I got the research. So that's my way of kind of making that timestamp of absolutely, go back. What did he say there? I love that, that's cool. It's all about like the first, um, your B episode like 90, 91, somewhere in there. And the first couple episodes, fuck man, it was rough. Like Colin's Conversations was originally the Colin Can Help podcast. And the idea was that I was going to use podcasting as a way to kind of take the blog articles of all these tips and everything and kind of push it out that way. Little did I realize how boring it was listening to me read a blog article and try to add that extra little bit that I didn't put into it until episode seven or eight. I realized I needed guests. Guests created that back and forth dialogue that new. I would have never even went to whatever topic, but then they brought it up and you're like, oh, now I have a whole new content method to go and go that route. And now 90 episodes in, still obviously learning, still say, um, way too much. But you know, I mean, those type of things are like, I've learned every episode how to either produce something different or say something different. 
And it's just hearing your voice. The more you could hear your voice, you speak better because you've heard it yourself. You know how to interpret it. I'm with you 100%, man. Um, I want to end on, I, I hate doing general pieces of advice, but it's podcasting and it's the internet. So we need some bit of general something to come out of the end of this. If somebody were to beginning a entrepreneurship career, we're going to leave that part wide open, but they, they're, they're a one man team, one lady team. Uh, what are a few things that they can take into say sales pitch meetings or talking with potential staff uh, that they could better their communication skills and then kind of save themselves a couple steps down the line. If you have anything. I would say there's one thing that comes to mind in the context of the question, which is understand that pitching has nothing to do with presentations, but rather every time you open your mouth. What does that mean? As a CEO, as a business owner, you need to understand that you're pitching to everyone all the time, even when you don't want to. Investors, customers, staff, and potential people to join the business. You're always pitching all the time. So when people ask you, what do you do? If you have a bad answer to that question, you won't be able to draw on the resource that you need from all of these stakeholders to increase your likelihood of success. So what made me successful with MasterTalk was not the actual product, but how I explained the product and the impact of that product. Because we need to understand that even if you have a breakthrough idea, it's only half the battle. If you can't spread that idea, no one's going to be able to support you because no one will know you exist. So find a one-sentence explanation to your business. I think that's kind of like the elevator pitch strategy of if you can't sell somebody on 30 seconds, you're not going to sell them at all, right? Yeah, exactly. Like whenever I'm at a cocktail in that event, which I don't do these days, but you know, when I when I get back to it, people ask me, they go, what do you do? I don't say I'm a speech coach. I say I make YouTube videos on public speaking tips. What about you? And they go, what? How did, what, that's so random. I've never heard that before. Tell me more. So that are interested, they're drawn in. What's that one sentence for you? That's the key. Absolutely. Uh, I did leave one thing out. A big part of communication is body language and uh, hand signals. I've noticed when watching your videos, you almost always speak with your, I believe it's your right hand almost exclusively. It's almost like you're writing what you're going to say next with your hand. Is it, do you, is there some sort of, um, mechanism by using your hand that allows you to get into that kind of professional rhythm of instead of a, a normal person's talking like and they get all those little you have that perfect is that kind of are you using your hands for that or what are some ways that people could use their hands to emphasize what they're saying more if not yeah it's great that you say that i'm really appreciative of that because i think i do that way too much you know, my body language is kind of out of control sometimes in these videos. <laughs> I just go, whoa, 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 I'm kind of like spinning. And I'm not even using my left hand. It's kind of weird. But uh, the, the point I want to drive with body language from, from that point is body language should never be the priority of any speaker. I know we emphasize it so much. We go, body language, body language. What? I'm like, wait a second. There's so many, way more things that you need to focus on. Especially when some, you see somebody like me doing this all the time. And I'm a right. good speaker. Like, it doesn't matter. I think the real focus for people should be present one presentation, present it 50 times, and apply the puzzle method. The puzzle method, in a nutshell, is understand that public speaking is like jigsaw puzzles. You know those puzzles you kind of do with your friends and family? Start with the edges first, like you do with the puzzles. Present your introduction 50 times. Not three times, not five times. 50 times. It won't take you that long. It'll take mm. you an hour. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same thing, 50 times the conclusion. If you just do that, you'll be pretty good at communication. Then think about body language after. 
Absolutely. Those are all some great tips. For my own curiosity, what's it been like up in Canada during COVID times? It's not so bad. Definitely not as crazy as in the States. It's like wars and elections and civil riots. We just kind of sit and eat and do nothing. That's <laughs> that's pretty much it. So, so yeah, nothing much to complain about. Obviously, I miss my friends and my restaurants, but other than that, uh, life's pretty good. Are you guys still kind of uh, mostly shut down, kind of shut down, almost business as usual? Uh, mostly so, shut down, I would say, but but I, I would I would I honestly think this whole thing will will breeze in the next six seven months. I mean, the doses already started being uh, given to a lot of the healthcare workers in the country, so it shouldn't be too long though. Yeah, it's, it's one of those beautiful things. Every time I try not to watch the news because you're like, oh, oh yeah, we're we're America, we're the best, and we're like, fuck man, we are absolutely the worst at everything. <laughs> like we can't even admit that a guy lost an election. We can't keep people inside if it'll save their lives. We can't do anything. It's just tough. It's tough, yeah. And are they giving? Did I? I saw something the other day. Do you guys get a two thousand dollar check every month? Yep. Life. Life is very good. Social benefits are good here. Uh, yeah. My, my. My. Our family's very fortunate. Obviously, I still have my job. Right. Uh, my. My mom lost hers, and we live together. So yeah, Serb has been uh, great to us in Canada. That's why there's not much to complain about, to be honest. I just get to sit at home, do interviews all day, and live right. my life. And then you guys have the uh, the social medicine. Has that been really impacted by the COVID stuff or has it kind of been the same weights for thing? How's that been working for you guys? Do you mean social medicine as in like free health care for the country? Yeah. If I said that like uh, too much of a Bernie Sanders guy, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. No, you're right. No, Once again, I've been very blessed, you know, very blessed that uh, healthcare is free here. Obviously we get taxed a lot, but at least the taxes go in the right direction. So I don't complain too much about it. Let, let's just say I thought a lot about moving to New York and Chicago or LA. And every single time I thought I was like, nah, I'd rather be Canadian. <laughs> See, cause I, I I'd rather go to Canada than any of those cities that you mentioned. Anyways, I've been to a few places in Canada and all the ones you mentioned, and I'd much rather go hit Toronto or Vancouver or one of those. Yes. Very nice places. Absolutely, man. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Let's end this with letting everybody know where they could find you. And if you have anything coming up that you really want to push, uh, now's the time. Of course, man. I always like to leave with uh, YouTube and my book recommendation. So book recommendation for those of you who want to master public speaking is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott's an amazing guy. I think he's really smart at marketing and messaging that I mentioned earlier. His book is like the testament on how to use public speaking to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for what you care about. I think he's the master at that. Check it out. For the YouTube channel, simple. All you got to do is type master talk on YouTube and you'll find me. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, buddy. This should come out pretty soon. That's the one nice thing where you were like, it's a lot harder to watch with the Zoom things. Editing this shit together is so much easier instead of like camera one, camera two, camera three, all those things. But uh, whenever you're in the States, you know, if you come down and you said it's about seven hours there, it's about, uh, I think, 12 hours. We're in Ohio. So come down and see us sometime. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Columbus every year. So probably. What are you doing in Columbus? Big convention? Yeah, there's an event called Summit of Greatness that I attend every year in Columbus in September. The Summit of Greatness. That's a hell. That right there is marketing in its finest. I don't know what it is, but you're like, oh, I see that on a billboard. Should we probably be there? Like it's greatness over there. You, you definitely should be there. It's a great, it's a great spot. <laughs> great place to be. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, sir. We'll talk again soon. All the best, Colin.